0: This podcast is brought to you by The City Church in Mississauga, Ontario. For more information, please visit thecitychurch.ca. We hope you are encouraged by this message from our lead pastor, Frank Coulter. Of a series that we have called The Resistance. And we've been talking uh, the last few weeks just about this idea that we. We, we don't want to come at life and just sort of be fatalistic with how we think about life. In other words, everything is just fate. Something is fated to happen to me, so I'll lay down underneath it and something's happening and so, say, Oh, I guess this is God's will for me. I guess this is happening for a reason. I guess this is going on. And we just sort of lay down and we don't resist anything that comes our way. And we kind of just sort of let life happen to us versus us happening to life. And really this series is just about this idea that we are actually supposed to resist things that come our way. We're not supposed to just assume that everything that is happening in the world around us and everything that's happening to me is somehow God's will. That actually in the scripture we see over and over again this idea that followers of Jesus are actually supposed to resist certain things that come our way. We've been using this verse here in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. It says this, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So that last sentence tells us, That the world that we live in actually isn't the way it's supposed to be. And we know this, and we know this from the scripture, that we live in a broken world, we live in a broken existence, and things don't always work right. Things are happening to all of us, our friends, our neighbors, our family members, and things like that, but the scripture says that we are actually supposed to be resisting the enemy. What are the things that are the enemies of my life? Because I shouldn't be just laying down underneath those things. I should be resisting, and not only resisting in my own strength, but actually resisting in the strength and power that God gives me. Not just wanting something different in life, but actually resisting the things that are coming our way. So, so far in the series, and all of these messages are available online, the we, first week we talked about resisting temptation. And the week after, uh, or the, the second week, which is after the youth takeover weekend, we talked about resisting circumstances and then taking a stand against those things that are coming our way. And then last week, we talked about resisting sickness and disease. That all of us are going to be facing sickness and disease at some point in our lives. And how should we think about that? What should be our approach? And so all of those messages are available online. If you missed any, you can catch up with us. But I have a question for you today, as we've talked about all of these different things, and all of these things that we're supposed to resist, resist sickness and disease, resist circumstances, resist temptation, why should we resist all of these things? And as I mentioned, when we're talking about resisting temptation, um, when we're supposed to resist, resist temptation, not just so we won't be facing religious guilt, but ultimately the enemy is after your purpose in life. So what is our purpose? Kind of a big, deep, you know, philosophical question. What is my life purpose? You now all of us have different gifts and talents. And we, those gifts and talents will be expressed differently in different careers and different jobs and in different seasons of life within our family. But we actually, as followers of Jesus, there, as, there is actually a shared purpose. And once we discover what this shared purpose is, we actually find... Uh, a lot more life satisfaction and enjoyment. Does anybody want a little more enjoyment out of life? A little higher level of satisfaction, regardless of what Mick Jagger might say, that he can't get any of it, that we can actually find some satisfaction if we discover some things here from the Scripture, as we look at some things in the Scripture, that we can actually live a satisfied life by resisting certain things. Now, this, what I'm talking about today is nothing new for you. You've heard me talk about these things, and I do actually circle back to these things a couple times a year because I think it actually has great meaning and it has great emphasis in the Scripture. How are we going to enjoy life more? How are we going to enjoy our marriages more if you're married? How are you going to enjoy being single more if you are single? How are you going to enjoy your job and your career more? How are you going to enjoy church more? Find more satisfaction In all of these areas. Now we've been talking about things that have been coming our way, coming at us from the outside. All of these circumstances and temptations and sickness and disease that we want to resist. But today I want to talk about something that actually, uh, for all of us, it actually is something that comes from within us. And it is something, it just comes with our flesh. It comes from... uh, being born in this world and being a broken human being john actually mentioned it a little earlier about his you know 2 year old son that he was actually struggling struggling in the store to think about buying something for someone else and if you've ever seen two toddlers together and there's a single toy war might happen why is because there there there's no there's unbridled flesh with those two toddlers and i and i know um with my, with my daughter and my niece who are about, you know, a year and a few months apart, that they, as they were growing up together and we would get together for family events and for birthday parties, that there was just out and out struggle between these two beautiful young girls. And it basically, it was just a display of selfishness every time they got together. At Christmas, they would be opening gifts, and they would be staring jealously at one another, at the gifts that the other person was getting. And if they were invited to each other's birthday party, which they were every year, each other would stare at each other with eyes of jealousy and selfishness, not enjoying the fact that their cousin was getting all of these gifts. And what is that? What is that thing that's in specifically my daughter and my niece. But what is that thing that's in all of us? It is something called selfishness. And that all of us have to resist selfishness as we grow up. For us to be able to enjoy life. For us to be able to enjoy our marriages and our relationships and our job. That for us to be able to find satisfaction in all of these things, we're going to have to resist Selfishness. James chapter 3, verse 16 says this. We mentioned this earlier in the series. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Selfish ambition. Now, ambition is a great thing. We need ambition. We need to be ambitious individuals as it relates to our education and our career. And if you own a business, you should be ambitious to increase your market share in whatever area that you work. You should be ambitious. But selfish ambition is a completely different thing than just ambition, good, healthy ambition. Selfish ambition is really just about me, me advancing myself and my things and my thoughts and my life. That this, when we see the selfish ambition, it actually says there's disorder in every vile practice. So we don't want to be living in such a way that we're just living selfishly. And all of these things uh, If we can overcome these things Once again, we're going to find satisfaction We're going to find satisfaction in how to run your business Because we know that if we can do these certain things that the scripture says It will actually be a great benefit to our business Great benefit to our marriages And great benefit to our lives and our relationships So we're going to see here We're going to look and see what this tremendous secret is That really isn't a secret But it's not a secret But the, it's, we all know it But it's It's great to know, but it's not just wonderful to know. It is actually something that if we do. And I make you a pastoral guarantee. If you do the things that I'm talking about today, if you actually do it, don't just let it hit your eardrums. But if you actually do what I'm suggesting to you today, your life will be better guaranteed. You like that guarantee today? Alright, so let's read and find out what it is. Philippians chapter 2. Verse 3. So here in Philippians chapter 2, there's this great declaration in the scripture about Jesus. It helps us understand so many things here about Jesus. So it's a multifaceted section of scripture, but we're just going to pull out one thought here. Philippians chapter 2. Verse 3 says this, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord in one mind. So he's writing to a church, and he's talking to the church that they want to be, that they should be unified under this mindset. So what is this mindset that Paul is describing to the Philippian church? Here we see this phrase again. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. That selfishness, if we live in a world of selfishness, if we live in a world of me first, we're going to struggle always. We're never going to have enough satisfaction. We're never going to find enough joy if we live in this me first mentality. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God to be grasped or to be held on to. Verse 7, But emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. That Jesus' ultimate expression of his life purpose is when he was obedient to the will of God for his life... And what did he do? He went to the cross. He died for you and me. He finished the work for us so that we could be in a relationship with God. But Jesus' life purpose was found in submitting his will to the will of God. So what is the will of God for us? Once again, we all have different gifts and talents and we can all express those different talents in various and sundry different careers. We're not all going to be able to work in the same areas because we have different talents. But we can have a common purpose in the middle of all this. That what did Jesus come for? What did He do? Did He come just to get glory for Himself? That He was actually coming to bring glory to God. We were singing about, singing about that a second ago. That He was going to do the will of God. And in doing the will of God, He was going to bring glory to Him, to God... And then understand and discover and walk out his life purpose. See, all of these things um, are presented to us from culture. That um, selfishness is something we grow up with. And then within our culture, it is actually cultivated in every aspect of life. As everything is is marketed to you and, and advertisers reach out to you. They're reaching out to you so that you will buy something and you will get something for yourself to make your life better and then we go through life and we live this way and, and we need and we want we need and we want things we want them how we want them and then ultimately we ask the question and it's, a lot of times it's just a subconscious thing well what's in it for me? what's in it for me? if I do this, what's going to be in it for me? if I uh, partake of this and I, and I do this thing What's going to be in it for me? Is it going to make my life better? If it doesn't make my life better, I'm not going to do it. And what is that? It's selfishness. And these things are presented to us in culture. They're presented to us in the world. They come from our flesh, from our fallen flesh, our carnal minds. This just, I, this idea of being selfish. I want to eat it. I want to experience it. I want you to do this for me. In life, relationship, job, church. this is the way we think about all of these experiences of life, well, what's, what's in it for me? What, what am I going to get? What am I going to taste? What am I going to experience? What am I going to have? You know, about church here, we we gather together every week and we're followers of Jesus. And, you know, we, as what we do here as a church, we want people to come and feel comfortable. We want to create a great environment for families. And we want people to feel safe dropping off their kids. And we want people to know that we're discipling young people. And we want people to come here and know that they can experience God and lift up the name of Jesus and then grow in their faith. But once we get you here, we are bait and switching you. We want you to come and be comfortable and enjoy it. But then when when you get here, we want to say, Hey, that's not all that church is. Church is not just another point of consumption. Church is about being a part of a family. Church is about contributing, being a part of the family, about serving, giving, making a difference in our city. Not just coming... And getting what you want, and hearing the songs that you want, and hearing the sermons that you want. And I've said this to you before. You know, if if some Sunday, if if that's your goal, and some Sunday I preach the perfect sermon. Now, it's never actually gonna happen. But I preach the I preach a nine out of ten for you, and you're like, Oh man, that was the thing that I needed to hear. And then the next week for you, you show up and I preach a four out of ten according to your Nielsen rating system of sermon, whatever, and it's different for everybody in this room, you're like, eh, two weeks ago was a nine. This was a four. I'm not going back next week because, you know, it seems to be going downhill <laughs> from the nine two weeks ago. I'm not getting what I want. I'm not hearing what I want. And what, what is that? That's selfishness. How should we think about being a part of the family of god how should we think about being part of a church that i'm going to come and i'm actually going to be there for someone else we, we heard in our students testimonies what is it that a lot of them found this weekend they they, they discovered community i am there's people here that will help me there's someone that's going to pray for me isn't that a great thing for teenagers to discover But if every kid went to the retreat and said, well, what's in it for me? I'm not praying for you. What's in it for me? Would have been a completely different experience. And this will make your church experience. I'm not just focusing on this today, but I'm a pastor and this is what I do. What will make your church experience better is if you come on Sundays thinking, I am coming to contribute. I'm coming to worship God, lift up God. Yes, I'm going to hear the Word of God and I'm going to grow. But maybe before the service or after service I'm going to have the chance to encourage somebody Bless somebody Be there for somebody else And that's how we're going to find And we're going to increase Our satisfaction in church Because, you know I'm confident in my preaching abilities I don't think I'm a perfect preacher But once again, if I ever hit a 10 out of 10 Miraculously It's all downhill from there And then what are you going to do? He preached his penultimate sermon and he was only 45. (laughs) Poor Pastor Brent. I guess I got to go find something else. Some other church. Blah, blah, blah. Not that you can't change churches. Go for it. Be blessed. A lot of great churches in Mississauga. But if that is your attitude at whatever church you go to, you're never going to be satisfied. Never. Never ever going to be satisfied. Let me step into the middle of your marriage for a second. If your spouse would say and do for you everything perfect for you in a day just to make you happy. It's all downhill from there in your marriage. Because there's something I know about you and there's something that I know about your spouse. You aren't going to be able to maintain that. Why? Because you're human. You're imperfect. You're not going to... And if if I'm going to only find enjoyment in my marriage from the perfection of my spouse, all of our marriages are doomed. Right? Why? Because it's impossible. And here's the reality... You are just as messed up as your spouse. No, no, no. No, no, no. You don't even know my spouse. They're this and they're that and they're this. And if they were to change these four things and they were to do all of these four things for me, I will be a happy husband or I'll be a happy wife. If they were to do all of these things for me and if they were to say all of these things for me and if all of my friends were to treat me exactly the way I should be treated and if they would say all of the right things, and if they would post all of the right things about me on social media, I would feel satisfaction and joy because everybody is doing for me. And if you live like that, you will be sad and dissatisfied. Because we're looking for people to do for us. But what is it that Jesus came and showed us about life? That we can discover about life, about our life, about an abundant life. That Jesus came in equal with God. He set it aside so that he would become a servant. That he would become a servant. Let me read you the definition of a servant. One who gives himself up to another's will. Those whose service is used by Christ in extending and advancing his cause among people, I love that definition devoted to another being devoted to another now i haven 't got all this figured out i haven't i don 't know all this, and i 'm certainly not a perfect husband. My wife will testify to this, but as I've been married 21 years now. And if you've ever been frustrated in your marriage, which is everybody in the room, anybody married person in this room, you've all been frustrated in your marriage at some point. And a lot of our frustration comes because we want our spouse to fill in the blank. Whatever. That they would, this, that this would happen. And for me, I was having dissatisfaction in my marriage. Why? Because I thought my wife should fill in the blank. Do this and do that and do the other. And I talk about this when I do premarital counseling with people. That one day I came home and I was doing something in the house that I was mad at my wife for not doing. Anyone ever been there? Because I thought she should have done it. Does anyone want to risk an amen today and just be like, yes, I know. So I was doing a thing, right? So I got home and I was working, people. I am working for a living. Okay? I came home and there was something undone in my castle. And then I was mad at my wife because it wasn't done. And as I was doing the thing that I was mad at my wife for not doing. Just on the inside of me, I felt God's voice say to me, you do it. You do the thing that you thought your wife should do. I'm like, I don't want to do it. She should have done it. She should have seen it. She should have known. And she should have done it for me. She should have done it for me. And in that moment, that small stupid thing that I was angry at her about for not doing, I had one of the biggest marriage lessons that I could ever have. Do the thing for your spouse. Do something for your spouse. You're never going to be satisfied in your marriage thinking that your spouse should do this and do this and do this and act like this and say this thing and, and get it exactly the way I get it. And think about life exactly the way I think about life. My wife and I do not think about life the same way at all we're completely different she's a woman i'm a man she's wonderful in so many different ways that's different than me and sometimes i struggle to understand does anybody know what i'm talking about you struggle i just <laughs> my wife loves to feed animals all animals all any there's an animal that there's an insect loves to, to feed them, take care of them, and love them. And I'm kind of like, I barely even enjoy our dog, okay? I'm, I, like I tell you, I struggle to see her purpose. I don't even know what her purpose is. But my wife, on the other hand, she wants to feed the birds, she wants to feed the squirrels, she wants to feed the chipmunks. We had a, a mouse in our house earlier this summer. And I had to go to the store and find a catch and release trap, as not to kill the mouse, because she couldn't stand the thought of me killing a mouse inside of the house. Now here's, here's the deal, people. I don't get that. Okay, I don't get it. Can't figure it out. I think it's. But you know what I'm going to do for my wife? I am going to go to the store. I'm going to find a catch and release <laughs> trap. So it's not to kill this mouse. (laughs) Now, do I have to understand that? Do Do I have to try to change her to think like me? Because if she were to think like me, all would be peaceful in our house. Here's what I've come to realize. She isn't. But that's what I need from her. I don't need her to be me. She doesn't need me to be her. We have these wonderful different gifts. And what are we going to do to find any joy? Well, you know what? I'm, I'm going to do for her. I'm not, I might not understand it. I might not be able to figure it out, but you know what? I'm going to do this for her. And that's one small area. Once again, I'm not a perfect husband. I'm not a better husband than your husband because I caught a mouse and didn't kill it. I killed the ones in the garage though. And it brings More satisfaction to life Not trying to discover ways For Nicole to do for me But for me to discover ways What can I do for her At your job If my boss were to if I, were to have, if I were to get this raise, if I were to get this benefit, if they were to do this and do this and do this for me, I would find way more job satisfaction. Mm-mm. You won't. The only way you're going to find job satisfaction is you're going to go to your job and you're going to find a servant's heart. If you're going to work for your boss and you're going to work for your customers from the heart... And this is the way to have a good, successful business. That we are here to serve our customers. We're here to do for our customers. Right? I'm sure business people have found this. If you treat your customers well, you think about the small things, you do this and you do this for them, you're going to get a repeat customer. Successful business practices. That we would find and discover this thing that, once again, is so obvious in Scripture. It's so obvious sometimes that we miss it. It's so simple, yet so profound, that our lives would be better if we would learn to serve. In John chapter 13, very famous story. We know it well, I've talked about it before. Jesus is about to go to the cross. And he's there, the last supper with his disciples. We know about the communion elements that we partake of and we focus on that. We should. But at this last supper, the scripture says that everything had been put in Jesus' hands. All power and authority. And what was he going to do with all of that power and authority that had been put in his hands? He was going to lay his life down for you and me. He was going to serve us. With everything that had been put in his hand. Now listen. Jesus was going to serve us. Give us a relationship with God. But he had all power. And he had all authority. And something happens in this room at this Last Supper. Now within this culture and within this time that people would walk on dusty roads. And they would wear sandals. And they would go inside. There would be a servant. And this servant was thought of as the lowest of the low servants. And that servant would wash people's feet when they came in the room and so Jesus is there and he starts to wash the disciples' feet he puts a towel around his waist and he's washing their feet and you know, he comes to Peter and, and Peter says you know Jesus you know, you, you're not going to wash my feet and Jesus says to him you know, well if I don't wash your feet you're not going to have any part and, I'm, well, and Peter's like well just give me a bath and Jesus will wash all of me and Jesus is like no Peter this is not big bath moment this is not the idea that he was actually trying to teach them something in this moment. In verse 12, the story picks up. It says, "...when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you?" Verse 13, "...you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for I, and for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet." this is true of us, right? Isn't Jesus our Lord and our teacher? Isn't he the one that we submit our lives to? Isn't isn't he the one that we're trying to be discipled by as we grow and learn that we're supposed to be transformed into the image of Christ? So Jesus is saying, I'm your Lord and I'm your teacher. That this is something that you should actually do for each other. And it wasn't so much the specificity of washing feet, but he was placing himself under them and then serving them. Serving the disciples. The one who had all power and all authority, he was taking that power and that position and that authority, and what was he doing with it? He was going to serve his disciples, and then he was teaching them by precept and example. He was showing, telling them something, and then showing them something. He's like, do you understand what I'm doing? Verse 15, for I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. Truly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Everybody say, do them. Do them. So my guarantee for you today comes from those last two words. Do them. Do something. How am I going to resist the selfishness that's just automatically on the inside of me? that would automatically be my de facto position given to me by my flesh and my carnal mind and the culture that's offering things to me, that I'm going to resist selfishness intentionally by doing things for others. This is why we tell you at church, hey, you get involved in church and you get serving. It takes your church experience up a notch so that you're actually doing something for somebody else. You're not just showing up Sunday after Sunday thinking, well, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? What's in it for me? And when I'm giving my tithes and offerings, I'm honoring God and worshiping God. And I know that someone else will be blessed because I'm giving. Not what's in it for me and what's in it for me, what's in it for me? What if Jesus had have said that? Well, what's in it for me, God? Well, Jesus, you get to go to the cross, you get to take nails in your hands. Spear in your side, nails in your feet, crown of thorns on your head. Well, it doesn't sound very great. But what did He do? He served us. And, and we'll be blessed. That word, definition of that word blessed, part of the definition just means happy. And once again, culture tells us this thing. If we can get everybody doing for us if our spouse will do for us, if our friends will do for us, if, all of the, if everybody just does for us, then I'll find joy and satisfaction. The opposite is true. If I'll do for others, then I'll find joy and satisfaction. I double-dog dare you to do that, to, to make it a life practice, to make it a life goal as we follow Jesus. That we just don't make our lives all about ourselves. Last verse. Ellen, come on up. Mark chapter 10, verse 42 says this. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those and their great ones exercise authority over them. And if you've ever been, um, you know, you've worked for somebody. And then eventually you kind of thought, you know, I'm just tired of working for somebody else. I want to be the one to tell people what to do. I'm I'm tired of taking orders. And I I just want to be the one to tell somebody what to do. I want to have authority over somebody else. And if you ever... Uh, have the privilege of attaining that position or that place of authority you get to that place of authority and you know what, telling people what to do isn't that great because you know what comes with that place and position that title, it comes responsibility and the, and the thing that you thought of ahead of time Well I just want to tell people I want to give orders Isn't that what authority is all about Isn't what being in charge all about That I get to give orders That I get to tell people what to do Jesus is saying to his followers These great ones Exercise authority over them Verse 43 But it shall not be so Among you Talking about his followers Talking about us But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And we've heard it. We've heard sermons. You've heard me talk about it. Here's how a great life is experienced. By discovering the ways that I can serve. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served... But serve and to give his life a ransom for many. To give his life. Giving your life. And this is where we're going to find this elusive joy and this elusive satisfaction. That satisfaction in life comes from resisting selfishness and then just giving yourself away. Giving your life away. See, I, I, I work here at the church. And then, am I, am I working for myself? Am I working for my own glory? Or am I working... To serve my family. Where where will the satisfaction actually come? That I'm just working for myself. That I'm just working for my own. uh, For people to like me. And people to think I'm a great pastor. And blah, blah, blah. And all these different. Not that anyone thinks I'm a great pastor. I'm just saying for people to give me adulation. Is that why I do what I would do? No, that I, I would do whatever I do. To serve the people that I work with, to serve the people that I live with, to serve my friends, to serve my church, to serve my family. There's way more joy and satisfaction, and it is the, actually the only place to find joy and satisfaction, and it's the same place that Jesus told us: "Give us this big life secret." but if we would just give our life away. You know, we're, believe it or not, we're moving to Christmas. It's getting closer. I know some people hate to think about that, but... And I I don't know about you, but I know, for me, one, one of the greatest lessons that I ever had about this idea, this notion was at Christmas time that for me growing up I always had a wonderful Christmas with my parents and you know we were at different financial levels at different times and we didn't some years we had a lot of gifts sometimes we didn't necessarily have a lot of gifts but they always made Christmas special for us and whatever gifts they were giving us they would be these wonderful surprises except the years that I snuck in the closet and saw my gifts but there would be a lot of years where these wonderful surprises at these moments of joy they stick with you Like these, when you saw the thing that you asked for, the thing that you wanted, and your parents loved you enough to give it. And every year you were looking forward to Christmas just so that you could get something. And then my wife and I had this wonderful life discovery when our daughter was born. And that we were actually, we were able to experience a different type of joy. Not that we got anything that year. I don't have any memory of any of the things that we got the Christmas that Avery was old enough to remember Christmas. But the joy experienced from her joy, that was life right there. And I didn't, I don't, we didn't care if we got anything. We didn't care if we experienced anything. But we... From what we gave to her, we saw joy. We understood something about life in that moment. That it's the words of Jesus quoted in the book of Acts that what? It's more blessed to give than to receive. Give what? My life. That I would resist selfishness. And then I would give myself away. Let's just pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your word today. We're so thankful, Lord, that you are teaching this to us. And re-teaching it to us. And showing us and revealing it to us. That you came, Lord, in the form of a servant to serve us all. And as we follow after you. That you are transforming us into your image and to your likeness. So we can do this. That we can give our lives away. As we go forward, Lord, this week, help us to know and help us to see these opportunities to insert generosity, to insert encouragement to insert love into other people's lives and in those moments Lord that you help us to see our purpose why we are here in 2015 living out the lives that we have the lives that you've given to us Lord that we'll find great significance in those moments we thank you for that Lord In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks for listening. If you need prayer or would like to share how this message has impacted you, please email info at thecitychurch.ca.